It's bad ink, Jam, but not as we know it. This is bad This is Bashcast, episode number... One, seven, three. It is 2 minutes past 24pm on Wednesday the 9th of June 2021. In this afternoon's Bashcast, Tony Ansel, the Wizard of Odds, challenges any professional gambler to know more about each way betting than him. So, we discuss each way betting in the Lucky 15. Each way betting on the golf. The daylight robbery there this week. And we have a look forward to the Euros. 2020-2021 starts this Friday. Pro better Barstool Sports is a little bit mad. And Chris Moneymaker is taking on PayPal and suing them for tens of thousands of dollars. All of that and more coming up in this afternoon's flash. Said I was going to uh, start doing weekly bash casts, then forgot I was going um, camping and surfing in the south of Wales. I've said this before, it always sounds cool to say you're going surfing when all your mates surf. But I don't surf. What I do is I sit out in the water, no wetsuit on, and just lie on the surfboard because that's all I know how to do. I did go for a surfing lesson once with my Australian mate Russell. Well, I was down in Melbourne for the... Was it for the wedding? Or was it for the Aussie Millions in Melbourne? I forget. One of the, one of the trips to Australia. And he, took, he took me surfing, because he'd been surfing every day of his life. Looks like Charles from Charles and Eddie. Or was it Eddie? And uh, he taught me how to surf by doing handstands on his surfboard. That's, thanks very much, Russell. That, that'll get me into surfing. Now I know what to do. So uh, we went down to the south of Wales for a beautiful weekend. Managed to put some time lotion on the kids, forgot to do myself, of course. 
turned out like a lobster. It was a great weekend. I really enjoyed it. Great weekend surfing, stroke, sitting on a surfboard, letting the waves come through. Tony Ansel, the Wizard of Oz, at ProGambler47, tweets on May the 30th. If I set an exam on each way betting, there is not a single person, including so-called professional gamblers, who would get anywhere close to 100%. Most would get under 20%. Right, Tony? <laughs> That's quite a tweet, isn't it? There's Tony saying he knows things. And he knows more than most people, in his opinion. One of the wise things I always found out was that you never know everything about anything. Even experts don't know everything about anything. So, um, it's dangerous to claim that you do. There's some things I know quite a lot about. I could set an exam on... Uh, the deterioration of the M25 road uh, under uh, longitudinal profile variants and rutting, and Tony Ansel would likely get less than 20%. I mean, it depends how hard I set the exam. Everyone's a specialist in their own subject. If Tony Ansel set me an exam, would I get anywhere close to 100%? Would I get under 20%? I don't know. I think there are things that Tony Ansel maybe might know about each way betting that I don't know. I think there's things that I know about each way betting that Tony Ansel doesn't. I mean, what's he talking about here? Is he just talking about that there is bias um, and there are edges to be had dependent on field composition? You know? If he is, then I would think that most professional gamblers would get well over 20%. Is, th is there more to it than that? Structured and factored one to four and one to five, and how that's been put in place with the disappearance of one to three, the edge and the bias that takes place when you have structured linear relationships to the win price against um, something more that they do in America and a lot of Australian markets just now, where they price up the place um, completely independently from the win price, which allows them to take into uh, uh, take into consideration the effects on field composition, the number of outsiders, the number, the price of the favourite. Is, is, he, is he just talking about that? He must think that he's got such a massive head compared to most people, if that's all that he thinks he knows. Or is there more? Is a secretive, secretive tweet that sort of says, I know everything, and most people, even professional gamblers, don't know as much as I do. What do you know, Tony? Do you know that uh, Skybet restrict accounts? But do you know that unlike a lot of bookmakers, if they see regular betting that they believe to be very negative EV, they will unrestrict stakes. So you could uh, bet on football requester bets, some of which are 100% EV under our benchmarks, some of which are even good bets under our benchmarks and you will get your limits lifted on horse racing if you bet on enough of these do you know that 
Do you know that even if you are restricted down to the lowest amount at Skybet and you place, try and place four horses and you're putting them in a lucky 15 because you're compounding the value, which comes from the place side, always comes from the place side. For example, I've just got four horses here. Morph Speed, Praying Mantis, Alidsan, and Firm Decisions. Um, I placed these four horses on my decade-old or even longer 15-year-old Skybet account. It's been limited for some time. I did get the stakes lifted and then they were dropped back down again after a few big horse race lucky 15 wins. Some quite seriously big ones. Um... So I'm now limited to 26 pence for a lucky 15, which actually, to be fair, given the odds of these horses, uh, still pays out a grand, which is great. But that's only a £7.80 stake, so the amount of return on investment on my £7.80 isn't, a, you know, a huge amount. But I can get around that and sort of add some value to it by placing the same horses in Yankees, trebles, doubles, you know, all the permutations. So you're sort of doubling up all the trebles, doubling up all the permutations, doubling up all the uh, doubles, trebles, singles, Yankees, whatever. And that will work at uh, a lot of bookmakers. Many bookmakers will allow you to do that. Do you know about that, Tony Ansel? Do, or are you talking about other things? I'll tell you what, we had a lucky 15 on the weekend. Didn't even have my eye on this. I'll tell you why I didn't have my eye on it. Um, this slip had four horses on it on Sunday afternoon. And they came... Place... Like, fourth when it was four paid, but three normally, so you were getting the extra place. So fourth, fifth, third lost. And you think that's nothing. It's just a £90 slip. Go and cash it in, expecting, you know, not even doing the maths on it. It's returned like a, over 1100 quid, And that's because there's a bog on there in one of the places where he, like, triples in price. Those things are always nice. But imagine, that, that that's why they get out just insane returns sometimes for... It's what it takes you by surprise and you're getting a payout of four figures when you thought that you were only picking up two figures or three fi low three figures. Hours of fun. Anyway, Tony Ansel. Uh, I've made quite a lot of money out of um, each way betting in my career. Uh, I am a so-called professional gambler. I don't know a lot. I accept the challenge. You set me an exam, and let's see if I get well under 20%. Uh, and I will set you an exam, and we will see how you get on as well. And then we will see... Who is the real winner of the Each Way Betting World? <laughs> Richard Turpin, who was baptised on the 21st of September, 1705, was an English highwayman whose exploits were romanticised following his execution on the 7th of April 1739 for horse theft. Turpin may have followed his father's trade as a butcher early in his life, but by the early 1730s he had joined a gang of deer thieves and later became a poacher, a burglar, a horse thief and a killer. He's also known for a fictional 200 mile overnight ride from London 
to York on his horse Black Bess, a story that was made famous by the Victorian novelist William Harrison Ainsworth almost 100 years after Turpin's death. Turpin's involvement in the crime with which he was most closely associated, that of daylight highway robbery, followed the arrest of other members of his gang in 1735. He then disappeared from public view towards the end of that year, only to resurface in 1737 with two new accomplices, one of whom he may have accidentally shot and killed. Turpin fled from the scene and shortly afterwards killed a man who attempted to capture him. Now, this Essex gang, sometimes called the Gregory Gang, um, would get together and in broad daylight had the audacity to rob highway coaches, hence the phrase highway robbery or daylight robbery. 276 years later, over at the Muirfield Village Golf Club in Dublin, Ohio, Patrick Cantley tied the 72-hole score with Colin Morikawa at 13 under par and he went into a playoff. A playoff in which he drove his the ball into the thick, thick cut of grass as Morikawa put his ball down the middle of the fairway. And Patrick Cantley still managed to beat Morikawa in the playoff and was handed the title. Not only that, John Rahm at that moment in time was in isolation somewhere after testing positive for coronavirus on the Saturday night. Had Rahm been able to play on the Sunday, he would only have needed a four over par 76 to win by one shot he led by six strokes and was 18 under before he was given the news at the side of the green in full public view that he had been disqualified or contractually required to withdraw from the tournament five days before this bookie bashing and weekly golf value both put up Patrick Cantley to win as a benchmark for the performance of our tracker and one of the small number of select bets at 22 to 1 at William Hill. 111% EV meant that we were staking quite high on him uh, at 22 to 1. And surviving both. John Rahm's disqualification and Colin Morikawa's playoff holes was the biggest display of daylight highway robbery in 275 years. But we don't lose playoffs. <laughs> we never lose playoffs. Our results on them are quite ridiculous. 
Somebody asked why I picked Patrick Cantley because there were people that were higher EV than him. And the simple answer is that is because we want to pick the guys that aren't just high EV. We want to pick the guys that are lower odds as well. A lot of the guys that are top EV, 140, 150%, they're also 300, 400 to 1, 500 to 1. That might be right, but the volatility we're introducing, betting at 500 to 1, um, means that we're just going to have to wait long, 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 long time before we show any decent results. Betting on guys that are shorter but still over 100% is a more attractive proposition. So to sort of explain this, it's now 1pm on uh, on the Wednesday, the 9th of June, and I'm going to go and have a look at what selections we can pick up for the two tournaments that are on this week. Weird tournaments this week. We've got the Palmetto. Is that what it's called? I don't know what it's called because it's the first time it's been held. Um, so we've got a new tournament over in the in the PGA. So let's just bring up the golf tracker here. Clickety clicks. Palmetto Championship at Congre, 2021. Now for this one, I've got a uh, multi-attribute graph. And I'm just going to load that at the same time. So here we go. Show all books. Filter EV below 100. I have a secret button at the bottom for admins, which is download selections. And that puts it into a CSV for me. We have been debating whether to make the CSV available to everyone because it's actually very useful because you download it to a CSV and then I put it into this spreadsheet right here in front of me. Right click, paste. I pressed some buttons like sort and stuff like that. And I actually have a little macro that could then send this to my runners. And it doesn't take any time whatsoever. And that's super useful. And we were like, well, why don't we make it available to everyone? Because other people would like it. The main reason we had it at the beginning was so that we could very quickly download selections on the horse racing tracker and the golf tracker so that we could benchmark them because we're always benchmarking our own tools and monitoring the performance. Then I realized it was going to be quite useful for uh, sending it to runners. And then someone else actually said, can I do that as well? And the answer should be yes, you can. And the only reason we're hesitating is that there are people out there who are more than happy to rip us off. Um, there's someone on Telegram selling access to our trackers. Uh, there are people trying to scrape us with bots. And um, it's like the more people that have access to this data, the more diluted it becomes. So one option could be to hike prices, but we didn't do that because we still have people who are just going to be there with one account, scraping us with bots and then selling it for cheaper. So we're looking at these anti-scraping measures and one of these anti-scraping measures may have to be, well, we can't give people access to download a CSV, even though it would be really easy. It kind of sucks because the people that want to download the CSV legitimately to use for themselves or to send to their runners, they should be allowed to. Uh, it's sort of a lose-lose situation. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Anyway, we now have the Scandinavian mixed by Henrik and Annika, which is this bizarre... Ladies and men's tournament all in one, which I've just downloaded here. Um, which surely the ladies are playing from ladies' tees. I couldn't do a graph for this because you can't get data for the ladies' tournament. It's not possible. It doesn't exist. Well, if it does exist, I don't have it. I can't get access to it. Um, and if the ladies were 
neutralized or equalized in this tournament. The, the markets certainly aren't showing it because if I just pick this tournament up, I, th I think when I counted earlier, the top 10 in the market were all men. Exchange. Why is Betfair so slow? Like you click on it and you get the scrolly circle forever. Scandinavian mixed. Um, so we've got Sam Horsfield at the top of the field, Jason Scrivener, Juice Luton, Ryan Fox, Alexander Bjork, Jamie Donaldson, Joachim Hansen. So there we go. Um, Matthew Southgate, Aaron Rye, Emily Pedersen. So Emily Pedersen is the first female, and she's like 10th or 11th in the field there. So if they are trying to equalise, um, it's, well, the favourite man and the favourite woman are like the difference of 14 to 1 and 40 to 1. But I guess the only way they can equalise it is the ladies played off the ladies' tee because after they after that it's every man for himself, isn't it? And you'd think things like strokes gained, putting, and things like that, the men are slightly stronger in those stats, right? So anyway, I've downloaded both of them. So looking at the uh, championship at Congre, well, we've got Roger Sloan up top at one hundred and sixty to one. Guess guess what? It's a Jeff Banks. <laughs> so I'm not going to be tipping a guy at Jeff, Jeff Banks. Do you know what I mean? He's still quite good at Bet Victor and PokerStars at 150 to 1. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll take him there. I'm not tipping the Jeff Banks, though. Imagine. Then you've got Lahiri at 300 to 1. 149% EV. Maybe a lot of these guys that are super EV, they've been tipped elsewhere and steamed in on the exchange. Which is why the trackers like a super um sort of hub um a best deal of all the different tipsters and smart money coming into one as are all of our trackers are so you, you know you get an expert tipper tipping a golfer over here it steams in the exchange rises up an ev perhaps roger sloan and nahiri is one of those guys now i've got some questions do i want kadir at 150 to one do i want ryan armor at 300 to one well if i've had the top two 160 to ones and over but now i want to be looking down the field and i want a mixture of ev but also lower odds i'm, I'm going to start by looking at the guys under 60 to one of which i see kevin kisner who's 130 again at jeff banks jeff banks is providing all the value in this tournament jonathan vegas <coughs> luke list harold varner harold varner is 125 percent ev but he's 45 to one and you have a guy that's 147% EV in Codera, but he's 150 to 1. So Harold Varner's going to win it three times more often. You know what I mean? And so I'd rather go for these guys that are shorter odds, even though they're shorter EV, within reason. I don't need to go down to the 101s. By the time I'm at 100.4% EV, I've got Ian Poulter, who's 33 to 1. Why is Ian Poulter 33 to 1 in this tournament? He hasn't showed... Oh, he was showed a little bit of form... Tyrell Tyrell Hatton, fourteen to one, and Matt Fitzpatrick sixteen to one. Well, Matt Fitzpatrick sixteen to one at one hundred nine percent EV, and Tommy Fleetwood's twenty eight to one at one hundred nine percent EV. And I can't ignore those prices. They're so low, even though they're drifting into the hundred six hundred eight. And so now I'm ignoring the guys that were up one hundred twenty five percent, sixty to one. Uh, 70 to 1 and 45 to 1. So I'm just going to go with um, six guys now. I've got 
Sloane, Lahiri, Kisner, Noren, Fleetwood and Fitzpatrick at odds of 160 to 1, 300 to 1, 55 to 1, 35 to 1, 28 to 1 and 16 to 1. Now Matt Fitzpatrick at, six, at 16 to 1 um, is taking up 6% of the win probability by himself and I only like betting 15% of the win probability. So he's taking up you know, 45% of the overall group of players there. Um, now I'm thinking, well, do I really want Lahiri at 300 to 1? Probably not. I'm going to sub him in. I'm going to sub Kadeira in. I'd rather not. The 300 to 1 guy isn't going to win. Well, he's going to win once every six years. Whereas Kadeira is twice as luck, uh, frequent as that at 150 to 1. And finally, I'm just going to throw in Richie Varensky for fun. Uh, takes me to 16% for the field over seven players. So I'm going to take Richie Varensky out again. All right, I'm happy with those six. 15.18%. I'm 0.18% over what I would consider to be my maximum. But that's good EV on the two English players there, Fleetwood and Matt Fitzpatrick. So I'm betting fewer places, players, but that's because they're... Yeah, I've got 35 to 1, a 28 to 1, and a 16 to 1 in there. And I'm just throwing the two real long outsiders. 150, 160 to 1 in there as well. Um, always nice if one of those guys would. So that's my. Um, those are going to be my selections this week for the Congaree. Congaree. And then you've got the mixed ladies and men's. Let's start. So the, the number one here is Caldwell, 150 to 1. But then you go straight into it. Net four of the next five are double figures. 45 to 1, Stenson. Nine, although you've got to think Stenson, because he's holding the tournament, has some bias and is odd, a lay on it, whatever's available for him. Feels like it should be the value play. Oh, I didn't check the chart, by the way. In the chart, I've highlighted Ben Martin, JT Poston, Patrick Kazare, Ian Poulter. Interesting. The stats do actually show. I did my chart this week on um, strokes gained approach, strokes gained, uh, gained off the tee, and strokes gained putting. Um, and w if you do that and just rank them all, you see that Ian Poulter is ranked number six, which is where... You, 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 and he's number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven eight or nine in the market. So perhaps that's why. It's just, I don't know where he's getting these figures from. It doesn't feel like he's doing anything on the television. Ben Martin, uh, 60 to 1, but only 102% EV. So despite the fact that these guys are ranked really highly, you've you got to have the bookmakers offering good EV on them. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. You don't, you can't bet on them unless they're plus EV. And even if they're plus EV, if they're 102% EV and there's guys higher, I'm going to go for them. I always go by the EV on the tracker first. It's only really if I've got a question over two players that I'll check the graph. Although I do normally keep an eye out. Where's Patrick Gazier? Is he high? Patrick Gazier. Sometimes you see some of my guys who are like up at 1,900 to 1 on my graph who are yellow. They rise up to be the top EV on the tracker. I don't know if that's me doing that. If like I put the graph out and people are betting on him in the exchange and therefore the exchange price has come down and therefore he's risen up in EV. It feels some, like sometimes some of these quite obscure names that I'm ranking quite highly on the multi-attribute golf graph do just appear there. I don't know why. Otagay, 55 to 1, I bet on you every week and you never do anything. It's one of the, it's the sickening thing where you pick a golf week after week after week after week. Aaron Rye, Wolverhampton's finest. Same. You never do anything. Um, Ludwig Aberg, what a name that is. I have to pick him just on his name. Um, so I'm start, I'm filling this up before I look at how many um, 
how many in total. You, you do have Emily Pedenz, um plus EV, but only at 101%. I think she's the only... Is she the only... Oh, you got Animal Dinnick at 106%. It'd be lovely to have a girl in the selections. But we just can't do it unless they were 110% and over. And 110% and over. There aren't any girls. I'd love it if I was picking a girl and she went and won. Uh, and it was a big story. But this is maths. Do you know what I mean? I've got to take it out. of. I've, you've got to take it all out of it. Whether you've bet on him in previous weeks or not, and he keeps on letting you down whether you want to be betting on the women because it would be a great story, whether you like the golfer or not or think he's entertaining or not, you've got to take all of that out and just bet on the mathematics. It's almost like ignore the name. Do you know what I mean? How many do I have there? Six or seven, and I've covered 11% of the field. We'd, we do have Juice Luton down at 104% at 18-1. to 1. Oh, he's, it's thinner than I'd want, but... It's a really short price, 18 to 1. Uh, it takes me up to 16.3%. Oh, man. This is one of those trade-offs. I could easily leave Juice Luton in, or I could have two guys at 36 to 1. 33 to 1, but they, and they'd be higher EV. And we've got Will Besseling and Kawamura. So you're getting Will Besseling and Kawamura, who are both 45 to 1, who are, and both 109% EV, bet, bet 365. Um, and it's like double the EV. That's the that's the decision here: lower EV on Juice Luton, or double the EV on Bessling and Kawamura, for the same field probability. Tough one. I could go either way, and I think there's no right answer. Um, you know, maybe the the answer could be have all of them, but I do have this kind of like when I'm benchmarking. WGV. I mean, I do bet on way more than 15% myself. This is just kind of the rules I'm following for benchmarking WGV and for for benchmarking um, bookie bashing. Okay, the decision's made. I'm going to take the top five in the table, six in the table, Jonathan Caldwell, Stenson, Paratory, Aberg, and Otterhey, all of whom are 150% and over, 150 to 145 to 1, 90 to 1, 50 to 100 to 1, and 55 to 1. And then instead of Bessley and Kawamura, I'm going to take Juice Luton, who is 18 to 1 at a million books, like all the books. Um, just because he's 104%, I think he was, if he was just a little bit less, if he was 102%, I wouldn't have done it. If he was 103%, I probably wouldn't have done it. It's because he's about 104% and he is the third favourite in the field. But, I mean, another day I could have had Bessling and Kawamura. And if either of those win, I'm going to be fuming. Bessling and Kawamura were the last two I took out. I had a period a little bit back where the guy that I took out last in the field for three weeks in a row was the guy that won. So, yeah. now So now I'm after-timing my bad beat story. <laughs> or oh, I'm protecting myself against after-timing the bad beat story. I'm going for Bessling and Kawamura, saying it loud and saying it proud. One of those guys will win because they're the ones that I took out. So I hope that gives it a little bit of insight. Um, it's not that technical. It's just using the tracker. And as I say, I could have gone either way. I could have had, um, I could have, I, uh, I could have flipped coin there and just gone with what the coin said over that very last decision. But it's that way up between EV and odds, magnitude of odds. The lower the odds is good because he's more likely to win or she's more likely to win. But you're going to get lower EV as well and you want to maximise your EV over time. It's a trade-off. 
it's an imprecise science. It's one that's working quite well for us so far. Just looking at the summaries. Uh, year one, our years run from May to May just because we started on the 21st of May 2019. That's why it doesn't tie up with anything in the golfing calendar year. 42 PGA events, 28 European Tour events, nine winners on the PGA, four winners on the European Tour. Uh, we had 34.1% ROI in year one. And we had 34.6% ROI in year two. So how close is that? The following calendar year, uh, 79 tournaments in year two, 34.6% ROI. 70 tournaments in year one, 34.1% ROI. Really tight that, isn't it? Uh, 13 winners in year one, only eight winners in year two, so had, must have had loads more places. Um, year three, we've only had four tournaments, because of course we start on the 21st of May 2021. And of the four tournaments, we've had one winner with Patrick Cantley uh, for 51% ROI, but of course sample size, four tournaments. So 153 tournaments in over just over two years, 22 winners, 34.9% ROI. Um, it's lovely to get the year off to an early winner because I feel like, okay, we're positive now and we're never going to look back uh, in, until next year because we easily could go three, four months not having a winner and get into some serious sort of negative ROI on the year, um, on the year stats. So it's always lovely. It's like, it's, it's like having a winner on the 1st of June. Well, brilliant. That sets June up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, Euros coming up. Euros 2020, Euros 2021 coming up on Friday. Those Euros that were delayed from last year because of the big pandemic coming up on Friday. So let's reverse what we did um, a couple of weeks ago in the Bashcast, which is when I talked about the bets that I was on in the past, a.k.a. after timing. I mean, it's not like I don't put every model up for access, isn't it? But anyway, um, let's look to the future instead. Uh, and what I think I'm going to be betting on and what I see about the angles. So by no means am I uh, an expert in making these markets, but you can sort of get an idea of where you're going to be looking and what you're going to be looking at. And the big thing always is don't get too excited. Don't the bookmakers are going to be all about action, as they always are. Come and bet on these things to happen in England to score 49 goals in their group and people to score and came to get a hat-trick in every single game. And, you know, I think the boost up at Sky today is Kane and uh, Bale to score loads of goals. And it's just, it never works quite out like that. Right? Um, last Euros, I've got a spreadsheet here, if you excuse the clicking around... If I find the spreadsheet. In the group games, of which there were some, 36 group games, there were 1.91 goals a game uh, throughout the group games. So many nil ones, nil nils, nil nil, one nil, two nil. You know what I mean? Uh, the group games can generally be quite cagey, and a lot of those games were nil-nil at half-time um, as well. You have teams like Albania, who went um, nil-one, 
nil one and two nil. You know, four game, four goals across all of their games, or even Switzerland, one nil, one one, and nil nil. So across three games, there were three goals for Switzerland. This group with Poland, Germany, Ukraine. You'd think that this would be, you know, going into a group like that, that would be high scoring. It's one nil, two nil, two nil, nil nil, one nil, and one nil. Across six games in that group, there were two, four, six, seven goals. Seven goals in six games. Um, it's not isolated to those as well. Have a look at this. How, how, how high scoring does this group sound? Italy, Belgium, Sweden. And again, you get one nil, one nil, one nil, one, one. There were three one nils in that group. Um, the average way under two goals a game. Which is quite significantly under um, worldwide average for football games. That was 2016. Across the entire tournament, it did start to open up a little bit in the knockout stages, but it was still 2.11 goals a game um, by the end of the tournament. Uh, there were a few goals the tournament before uh, when there were fewer games. So we are, you know, sample size going against us then. Uh, you still had the France-England group, Group D. Um, only two games in that group going over 2.5, the rest going under 2.5. And that's a group with, like, France, England, Ukraine, Sweden with Ibrahimovic coming into his prime. You know, you think there's going to be goals. Again, Netherlands nil, Denmark one, Germany one, Portugal nil. Poland nil, Czech Republic one, Greece one, Russia nil. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say you build up to these things so much. And then they generally tend to be quite cagey affair. The World Cup was very similar as well. It just went by. So it's just worth keeping an eye on, um, on you know, the bookmakers pushing action towards us. They're pushing action towards us for a reason. And that's because these things can generally be a little bit flatter, a little bit cagier. You get teams like Macedonia, Turkey, Slovakia, who have no real attacking prowess up front and are just going to set up, um, you know, with 10 men behind the ball. It makes it very difficult to break down. They're not going to score, but they're not going to let in any either and that's where these nil nils one nils two nils come out of so that's what we're going to be having a look at but um going through group by group we have six groups okay two qualify from each group that's 12 teams and then we need to fill four more slots into the knockouts so the four best teams of the third places go through so that's quite good i mean you could be a third place and on average you'll go through just the two worst ones won't it makes quite interesting dynamics from setting these markets up. So 16 teams go through. If you go get the back lay and last price matches from Betfair just now, if 16 teams go through, then a purely 100% market would be working at 1,600% if you add up all of those probabilities. Take the decimal, take the um, reciprocal of the decimal and then add it all up and it should come to 1,600% or uh, 1,600, right? Well, it comes to 1,550 if you're using the 
lays it comes to 1575 if you're using the last price match and it comes to 1595 if you're using the backs what that means is that you can work out some stakes relative to the odds of each team and place a back on every single team to qualify and you'll make a profit albeit you'd be wasting a lot of time for not a lot of profit there is a bias somewhere where someone hasn't quite worked out the whole um, structure of the third place teams going through. Probably might be to do with Scotland. Uh, which group are Scotland? They're in England's group, which is Group D. So we have England, Croatia, Czech Republic, and Scotland in this group. Um, and I've got the now in the winner market, uh, England are going to run away with it 1.47, Croatia 5.1, Czech Republic 13, Scotland are the outsiders at 17.5. Uh, you have the same sort of thing with the to qualify, but Scotland were happily trading at 2.3, 2.4, 2.5 to qualify, uh, and then. Fred boosted them to two to one for days upon an end, and they were taking a hundred pounds and two to one, and so all the layers came in, and they were backing at two to one, and they were laying up at two point nine four, and we knew that this was going to happen the day before, and anyone that was savvy enough um, was laying Scotland at two point four for some very free money to back them again at two point nine. Um, on the other side, because that was only ever going to go one way once the layers could, you know, get around £100 a shop on Scotland to qualify. So we definitely have um, some bias on Scotland to qualify. But even when they were down at 2.5, the markets were lopsided. So um, something is slightly off somewhere with someone. The question is who is definitely Scotland now. In terms of that group, there's always bias with England in every tournament. So this is the common knowledge. Um, England to win a tournament, England to qualify, England to do things. These are English markets that we're looking at. Pop, um, and a lot of the money is coming in for England. More money will be coming in for England by recreational players than anyone else. And so England were as low as 6.0, 6.2. They were favourites with France for a long, long time. That drift is now starting to come. So you're getting a drift uh, of England up to 7.2 from 6.2. You're getting a drift in Kane to be top goal scorer, England to reach the final, all the English. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're a good team. I don't think the, the drifts are injury-related. You've only really got Henderson injured, Maguire. Um, there's sort of a question around him. Um, but I think it's more to do with sort of the market just shaping a little bit more efficiently closer to Friday that we get. The thing about this group, by the way, is that you want second place in this group D because you get an easier uh, knockout round after that. So um, it could be something to look out for for England, you know, going into the last game. Do they want to finish top? Um Scotland are very lucky to be in this tournament compared to, you know, you know they haven't been in a tournament for 130 years. And... Okay, that's better. Right, had to edit it there. Uh, you just can't get any peace and quiet. If it's not Hill Street Blues going up and down the road, 
of all the days, we've got a man coming to clean the gutters and the windows today, and he's literally right in front of me, and he's just making a complete racket, and it got louder and louder, and I had to stop. Uh, and then an elephant came along into the room and started complaining. Said that I was after typing. <laughs> um, so Scotland are very lucky to be in the tournament. I don't expect very much from them. I think um, it may very well be nil point from them. Uh, England should get through very easily from that group. Going Just flicking through the groups just to see if we can see anything. Um, a lot of it's going to come down to this very interesting uh, point around um, some third places going through. And so what we want to look out for there is groups where there may be a very obvious winner and a very obvious loser. So Group A, you've got Italy, Switzerland, Turkey, Wales... Uh, Italy should win it, but Switzerland, Turkey and Wales all have got a shout. Goals are going to be an issue in this group. In qualifying as well, this is not going to be a group where there's going to be lots of goals. Um, the Swiss uh, are unimpressive. Ryan Giggs has just been charged with assault and, and isn't going to be part of the Wales team. Turkey don't have any real recognisable out-and-out strikers. Um, there could be a few nil-nils in this group and if it's nil nil between these um switzerland turkey wales that's going to set up a kind of very interesting dynamic going into the next get into the last game where perhaps they're going to need to win um in the next group now this is a group where definitely you would think denmark and russia are going to be vying for second and third belgium uh rank number one they're the team that are scoring goals for fun. Albeit, did you notice that KD, uh, Kevin De Bruyne got injured in the Champions League final? We don't know if he's going to play or not. And all of a sudden, every single bookie is now boosting him to be player of the tournament, to get 19 goals a game, to have assists, to do this, to do that. Uh, the cynical part of me thinks, well, they are boosting him because you have this unknown hanging over him if he's actually going to start, if he's going to even be in the first two games. Um I wouldn't be putting any money on Kevin De Bruyne. If anything, I'd be laying him, which is exactly what the bookmakers are doing with these boosts, but I don't think any of the boosts are good because of the risk of him not starting. Um, Belgium still look very strong and still score goals for fun. Uh, Lukaku, 48 goals in 49 games. Belgium, 68 goals in 19 games. If any, if the goals are going to come from anywhere, it's going to be Belgium. Um Denmark, uh, Finland are uh, in their first tournament and are likely to be the whipping boys. And so it's between Denmark and Russia. Now, I don't know the answer to this question, but this sort of says it's now interesting when the Denmark-Russia game is. Does it finish last? Well, Denmark-Finland is first up. And then Denmark play Belgium. And then Denmark play Russia. And there's going to be a case of, well, a draw could be good enough in that for both teams to go through depending on what's happened elsewhere. Assuming everyone's whipped Finland and Belgium have beaten both Denmark and Russia, then Denmark and Russia play that draw out every day of the week. You know? Um, I've got some coupons here, but the Den if we just... in On the exchange, that might be a little better. There you go, Russia-Denmark. Has anyone actually thought of that angle? Was it steamed in? The draw's 3.45, 3.75, with a little gap in between. Uh, if anything, it's drifted. I think I might be early on the draw there. It's the same in Group C. You have Netherlands, 
pretty impressive. 1.58 uh, to be group winners. You've got two teams vying out for second place in Ukraine and Austria. And then you've got Macedonia, who are going to be the whipping boys. Again, Austria versus Ukraine is the last game in the group. A draw could be good enough for both of them to go through. So all of a sudden, I'm looking at putting those two into, you know, I, into some sort of double, maybe with something else. Is that short, Ukraine, Austria? Is that steamed in? Let's have a look. Monday the 21st of June. Mm-hmm. 3.4. No steam. In fact, adrift. Doesn't make any sense to me. Not going to be better, right? Um, group D we went through, which is the England, Scotland, Croatia and Czech Republic. Scotland probably won't go through. They might have nil points. Um, group E, Spain, Poland, Sweden, Slovakia. Slovakia are going to be the t exactly the kind of team that are going to have lots of zeros in their games. They, they may have uh, some nil-nil draws, one-nil defeats, two-nil defeats. Um, Spain, well, I'm surprised to see the 1.41 favourites to win the group, given that Poland have got Lewandowski up front. Firing all cylinders. I guess he doesn't have much around him, Lewandowski. That could be the problem. Sweden don't have Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and so I'm sort of surprised to see Sweet Poland and Sweden to be similar prices. To me, I fancy Poland a little bit more than Sweden there, but the markets, they've got them roughly the same price. And then you've got the group of death. Um, you've got France, Germany, Portugal, and Hungary. Um, uh, so Hungary, the whipping boys in that group, um, but France, Germany, and Portugal could trade, could trade draws, could trade uh, surprise wins against each other, and so any two or three could go there. But you could be, get, we could be getting rid of a team in that group because it's so tough. The only points may be against Hungary for the third place, play, and you'd, th you'd think it would need to be four points possibly to get through um, as the, the worst third placer. So no, no, it wouldn't be four. Three would probably... The losing third places will probably have three points, I would imagine. I don't think two would be enough. France, Benzema. They've got a lot of talent. Mbappe, Giroud. They're going to be scoring a lot of goals alongside Belgium. Germany um, have had some weird results recently. They lost heavily to Spain. They lost randomly to Macedonia. Surprised to see them nearly the same as France to go through. I think France would be a little bit more than them. Portugal, an interesting team as well. For so long, just Ronaldo, but now Jota's coming through. Fernandez is coming through. Um, Felix is coming through. The, the, so Portugal are turning into a team, and there could be an interesting, I think, um, goal scorer edge there because everyone everyone's going to boost Ronaldo everyone's going to favor Ronaldo and one of the favorite things that I used to do in year, in tournaments gone by world cups and euros is that I would back um I would back Ronaldo heavily earlier in the day and his price would just crash in uh, and then I would lay it and the reason uh, I was doing some hedging which should only be for gardeners is because I wasn't entirely sure which side uh, of the drift of the steam was getting it wrong because we know Ronaldo's going to start, so there's no question that he's going to start in these games. He's not injured. He's not. He's not questionable for the lineup. So his price should be static. Um, there was no other real competition up to this year in the team for goals in the Portugal team. 
And so um, it was either recreational money coming in and hitting it, and everyone's just hitting Ronaldo, or it's smart money coming in and hitting it. If it's recreational money, the early price has got it right, and the late price is bad. If it's smart money, the late price is bad. Well, it's wrong. It's, it's good because it's higher, and the uh, kickoff price is, is just about right. Uh, I'm never too sure which one. And because I, I don't know which one the value one is, uh, that's when the hedging came in. I was like, you know what? I'm so convinced in that. I'd be putting down a thousand, two thousand pounds early doors on Ronaldo, waiting for him to come in. And he just did time after time after time. Not saying he's going to this time. In fact, the conditions are very different this time. Um, there's much fewer layers around. There's much fewer laying, uh, laying liability, which means these steams are less likely to be um, as severe and as pronounced. But um, also he's got more competition in the team with... Um, João Felix, Jota, Fernandes getting goals. Fernandes 8-1 top scorer for Portugal. I'm talking to my mate, is he going to take a penalty? Actually, this is something I wanted to know before this morning because I wanted to bet on him today. Who took the penalties in Portugal's qualifying games and results? Let's have a look, shall we? The last game they played, they played Spain in a 1-0, in a, sorry, in a 0 0 So that's rubbish. The game before that, there was no penalties, but uh, Jota got a goal, Ronaldo got a goal, João Felix got a goal, so there you go. They're just sharing the goals before them, around them. So the game before, uh, Portugal, Jota got two goals. I mean, look at this, it's not all about Ronaldo, it really isn't. Jota's got more goals than Ronaldo at this stage. Um, the tennis player Medvedev got a goal against Azerbaijan. Portugal three, Croatia two. Uh, Felix got a goal, Ruben Diaz got two. Uh, when did they ever have a penalty? They've never been awarded a penalty, as far as I can see. 1 0 against, 1 0 defeat to France. There was no Portugal goals in that game. Portugal, Sweden. Jota got two goals and Silva got a goal. Ronaldo doesn't score for Portugal anymore. If anything, I think Jota, top scorer for Portugal, could be the bet. Um, there you go. Cristiano Ronaldo got two against Sweden, but that's only because it was against Sweden, wasn't it? Game before, Jota scored, Felix scored, Jao, um, Silva scored. I'm going all the way now back to 17th of November 2019. I still haven't found a penalty. Um, we're so far back now, you wonder if the penalty taker is going to be the same. Portugal versus Lithuania, 6-0. Penalty taken by Cristiano Ronaldo. Who was in the team that day? In the team that day, there was no Jota. There was a Fernandes. Yeah, so maybe Fernandez doesn't take them over Jota. I don't know. What is now? Let's go to my little coupons spreadsheet. What is Jota's odds of being the top scorer for Portugal? Because recently he's been getting more goals than Ronaldo, but you know the bookies are pricing Ronaldo as the favourite in that team. Is that the coupon? Excuse me whilst I find the team. Yeah, that's the coupon. Right, it's a big old coupon. Anti-post goal scorers at William Hill. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, top scorer for his team, 11 to 10. Doesn't surprise me. In fact, it's, it surprised me it's that long. I would, maybe thought they would have priced the odds on. Diogo Jota, 9 to 2, top scorer for his team. I'm penciling that in. I'm having it now. Top scorer for team. My massively small sample size, of course. Anyway, what I'm going to be looking at, well, coupons are hard because normally in a coupon we've got 80 to 160 games. Um, 
over two or three days, over a weekend, and then you catch the steamers from that. In these international games, um, especially like the group stage coupons and things like that, uh, we have three games a day. So over your three, four games, you've got nine to 12 games. That's just not enough for uh, teams to steam in, for smart money. Um, and also, with it being high-profile games, the bookies will be all over them, all over the cuts. You know what I mean? So um, I, I would be surprised if there was value in the coupons. If anything, they, if, if I was on a team in the Euros, it might just be because they slid in next to uh, the Chinese Super League and Japanese teams that are on the coupons. You know what I mean? So it's not necessarily anything to do with the Euros, but once we become value, I've been looking at the early stuff on the coupons and um, there's no, obviously no value early. Um, they're going to keep them... A sort of mile away. Paddy are doing twenty five percent bonuses on accumulators up to uh, one thousand um, pounds, which is fine. Um, but it's Paddy, and they are linked to Betfair, and I would assume they have an algorithm in place that's keeping the teams far enough under the Betfair price, even with the twenty five percent compounding value on top. I might be wrong. Um, but I'm going to assume that it just feels like it would be too easy for them not to, you know, the massive company, huge liability. It would be very easy to take advantage of, especially since you can lay these accumulators at markets, any kind of accumulators that you want. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be placing coupons, but I'm not expecting huge value out of them. Uh, DDHH is another one. Um, it's like... The the games are on individually um, until the last group stage game. Uh, there's a lot of attention and a lot of money, um, and it'll be very easy for the bookmakers to um, cut the odds in line with liquidity on the exchanges. So DDHH could be hard in these games, like they are in Champions League finals and things like that, um, in quarterfinals and things. You need either for DDHH, the games not to have a Betfair market, not to have much liquidity uh, and movement, or um, lots of games happening at the same time, so you can sort of catch the traders off guard. But uh, again, DDHA is not something that I'm expecting a hell of a lot out of. Um, I'll be keeping on my experiment of betting first goal scorer using anytime goal scorer steams. Um, I'll tell you that I've been, I've been cleaning up with too much on that, but I'm not going to bat. I'm, nope, there'll, there'll be no after timing on this bashcast, so tough. Uh, the game center. Yeah, lots of value there with the secondary markets for sure. Um, there was a weird one the other day. We had Germany versus Latvia, which was really doing my nut in for a couple of reasons. Um, you think you get all the logic right, and then a game comes around like Germany versus Latvia in a friendly at Germany. Latvia, the you know two hundred ranked team in the entire world. Germany, the number top ten, top five. Um, Latvia were a hundred to one and more. To win this game over 2.5 was trading between 1.05 and 1.2 which is a huge range to tra trade um around you know between 2 and 2.15 is quite a huge range to change to trade around or 2.05 and 2.2 but 1.05 and 1.2 it's ridiculous there's a 1.2 1.05 arb at the bookmakers for that um if you wanted to get restricted very quickly uh, and this is just because people, there's a general consensus. Uh, it's very difficult to work out or estimate the XG 
in a game like that, add to the fact as well, um, we don't have a correct score market to go off because all the liquidity is in the correct score to home market with uh, Germany. The it starts the the odds start at four nil. Like one nil was seriously unlikely to Germany, um, and you get these huge odds of black swans of a thousand, two thousand, three thousand to one. It was just a game where trying to work and pinpoint out any degree of accuracy using the vast amount of experience and historical data that we have kind of falls apart when you have outliers like this. It also happened to be the only game of the day, so all the William Hill GSOs were on this. And um, we looked at it and tried to shape it and tried to fix it and then just put our hands in the air and said, you know what, I just don't care. I don't care about this match. I don't know. I don't have any confidence that I'm predicting anything with any degree of certainty in this match, so we're just going to leave it. Um, and we could spend hours and days and weeks working out the logic of exactly what we do with games that are so one-sided as that. But how many times do you see a, a hundred to one team? It's literally the ninety-nine point ninth percentile. So I'm like, okay, we can't do. We're not going to look at matches that are the ninety-nine point ninth percentile. And if they happen to be the only game of the day, and therefore all the GSOs are on those games, then so be it. We miss one out. So um, the game center on the Euros is going to be a lot more effective because um, it's going to be more liquid, so there's going to be a lot more information to go off, uh, so it's gen generally just going to be easier. So I think I'm going to be using a lot of that to trade early doors. Uh, I, I like the match odds and BTTS markets, all six of the options in there. Um, I like the team to win in over 2.5, 3.5, 4.5 goals or 1.5 goals. Team to win in under those goals as well, because you know goals are not going to be expected in this tournament uh, a lot of win to nils uh, first half correct score throw first half correct score i have the most amount of confidence in the accuracy of those predictions and it, all, it happens to be a market that's very easily tradable um on zero percent exchanges as well makes a huge difference to the to the bottom edge so things like that, and the goal scorers, and throw in a few of the combo bets, the your odds, the what's odds paddy, which um, which were dreadful results, March back to January, and then April, May, it's been skyrocketing, and we are slowly pulling ourselves out of the hole that uh, lockdown forced us into there. So those are probably the areas I'm going to be focusing on, the combination bets, um, uh, and the markets on the exchange to do with match odds, BTTS, win to nil, and win and over, or probably more likely under X.5 goals. It's a good time for people to take a drink. Um... Should have ended that segment and I forgot to. But with what I'm on already. And the answer is not a lot in the Euros. Uh, don't fancy laying England. It's, I didn't get in at 6.2. I'd, I'd still would if I if I had to back a lay at 7.0 I'd lay. But I, I'm not interested in the 1.14s. Um, within England, Mason Mount 20 to 1 top goal scorer looks okay. When you don't know if they're going to get field time, the guy gets goals... It's good enough for me to get on. 20 to 1 at William Hill Shops. Um, toying around with um, Jota and possibly Fernandez as a double. Um, so two bets as well. 
on that side of things. And that's it just now. Nothing too exciting. Getting down on those uh, in William Hill shops. Because at least they'll take some stakes from me. Someone who didn't have stakes taken from him is Joey... Well, a guy that calls himself Joey Kanish. Joey Kanish was a character in the brilliant Rounders movie. And, well, he isn't being allowed to have some concessions at Barstool Sports over in America. And he's not happy. Let's have a listen to what Joey's got to say. Emergency press conference. Actual man of the people, Joey Kanish here, exposing what we already know, folks. Barstool Sportsbook, Stooley, Big Cat, all frauds. Corporate shills only worry about their own pockets. The same people they criticize, Elon and all them, they're just the same type of folk. Oh, come back to can't lose parlay. Oh, we're, we're all buddies here. We're all buddies. We're all buddies as long as you're losing money to their sports book. You show a little bit of a pulse. You win a little bit of coin. You bet a little bit of bit of non-recreational stuff. Get you out of here. Well, you're not one of the, you're not one of the boys. Oh, you're only one of the barstool men if you're dumping money to our sports book. Line in our pockets. Absolute disgrace. They can play up all they want. Barstool. Oh, we're the people's sports book. The people's loser sports book. The whole percentage is 80% because they're fraudulently betting with so many people, but they can't pay out a couple of winners oh, because the student had a real stoolie unless you're betting the can't lose parlay, which is 0-65 in the last 65 days. But, oh, now we can't bet it because you won a few bets. Absolute disgrace. Dave, Big Cat, all of them. Frauds, shills, every single one. Barstool sports book disgrace go bet somewhere else uh so whatever's happened he's taken that well hasn't he it's so american it's so american how they do these things um this guy has this joey kanish from the film rounders has 14.9 thousand followers he calls himself a gambling twitter degen so he's got the followers um and he tweets with this video emergency press conference uh Barstool Sports exposed for who they really are. Corporate shills who only take losing betters to line their own pockets. And then underneath that video, he says, um, looks like no more can't lose parlays for Uncle Kanish. And he screenshots an email that's been sent to him from Daniel at Barstool Sportsbook. And Daniel writes, um, we're writing to inform you that we've made an update to your player account. Barstool Sportsbook and Casino Promotions are intended for recreational members to explore betting on different sports and markets, not for bettors who show non-recreational non tendencies. Based on your previous sports betting patterns, our team has ruled that your account is not being used recreationally, effective immediately. Your player account will no longer be eligible for... Barstool Sportsbook and Casino Promotions and Rewards. Uh, welcome to the real world, Mr. Kanish. You see, it's been a long time since there's been sort of widespread sports betting in America. And uh, the UK, European, Australian model is being implemented over there. But in all honesty, what it isn't just the UK, you 
you uh, Australian European model. I think since the dawn of time, um, people who lay bets have laid them to for the purpose of making money off people that are backing bets. You can entice people in with promotions, and you want to be very wary of the people that are making money off you. I mean, that's just standard ABC sort of punter, bookmaker, casino relationship. Card counters get backed off. Uh, winning horse racing bettors around the world get backed off. And they're not even saying that he's banned from ever betting with them again. He, They are saying that he's just not allowed to have promotions. Well, if you're a winning better, of course you're not going to be allowed to have promotions. Why would you be allowed promotions if you're winning... Successfully, the promotions are to entice people in who will lose money to the bookmaker, to the casino. This would seem to be, even for a recreational player, this would seem to be quite obvious, you know? So this is going to become more and more common in America with the Betfred managers, the Bet365 managers, all the UK big sports book managers going over to America to try and set up systems in the same way that they've set them up over in the UK, over in Europe. And this is going to become more and more common. Um, it's very interesting to see how it will go, though, because there's a there's a system of a sort of a viewpoint where things can't be unfair in America much more than the UK. In America, you're much less likely to have a sports day where there's a medal awarded to the kid that's the fastest because that's unfair on the children that haven't had the same opportunity uh, as the child that perhaps won it. And that's not so prevalent in the United Kingdom, and it is completely farcical, but it's it's something that's in the culture. Fairness is in the culture um, um, of America. That's why when you see um, comedy... In America, it's always sort of geared more up to the hero, the good-looking guy, the friends. By the way, you see that friends reunited. That's a lesson in your immortality, isn't it? Um, um, the positive side of life, whereas British comedy is about kind of the fall guy, the, the guy down on his luck, the Faulty Towers character. Um, the the office David Brent. Do you know what I mean? There's there's kind of a, a, a an acceptance that there's a loser there and it's okay to lose. Whereas in America, it's it's a different viewpoint. And so culturally, that's why people deal with you know being restricted from promotions. Like our friend Co Joey Kanish here, it's utterly fascinating to see it. Do you remember the first time you ever got backed off or a restricted email? I think like the first one's a badge of honor. It's like, oh, I'm no longer a recreational better. Now it's kind. Of, this is like a certificate that is proof that I know what I'm, that I know what I'm doing. And then you get a couple more, and they start to get a little bit annoying because like, oh, this is just like this is this is an avenue or a direction in which I'm making some money that has now been closed off and I have to do something about it. It's just like an irritant. You know what I mean? It's like forgetting to put the bins out. It's like, oh, for God's sake, now I've got to take everything to the tip. You know? You deal with it, but you wish you didn't have to. But then a long, a much longer goes on and you realise it's just one of those facts of life and it cannot be any other way. 
I mean, the system cannot work any other way when you have a small number of people um, winning and a large number of people losing than the small number of people winning. It has to be hard for them. What other way is there? Otherwise, everyone starts winning and then the bookmakers and the casinos go bankrupt and there's nothing left for anyone. And what have we done then? The whole system's burnt to the ground. Congratulations. Nobody wins. So, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting. That tweet from, um, if you're going to have a look at it, it's at Joey Knish 22. Ah! Uh, last topic this week is um, poker player Chris Moneymaker, um, one of the most famous WSOP winners ever. Um, he, the 2003. Three World Series of Poker main event champion qualified for the $10,000 uh, main event for something like $33 or $50 or something like really, really small. Um, great videos on YouTube if you want to go and watch some of him sort of going through the field. Um, he was on the table with Phil Ivey, Sammy Farha. Uh, he ends up shipping it. He ends up shipping $10 million or something like that for his $33 satellite. And his name is Chris Moneymaker. Of course it is. And he's he's sort of credited with the poker boom. Um, yeah, All-round nice guy, it appears. I, I don't know. I've never met him. I've never sat down on a poker table with him. I've never be, walked past him or anything like that. But he just comes across like a nice guy. Uh, we were talking recently about my frustrations with um, banking institutions, with the fact that I couldn't even give my money, my buddy a little bit of money um, without the bank uh, suspending my account and making me just be on the phone for hours um, uh, answering ridiculous questions about him, even about the car that he was buying, which I knew nothing about, uh, just completely annoying. Um, but it generally, I've, I've always had issues with banking institutions, and I think a lot of professional gamblers have. We have um, bank accounts closed, we have bank accounts suspended, we have uh, cards blocked, and generally it's just like, when we're not doing anything illegal and not doing anything wrong, this is tremendously annoying. Uh, it's why I'm a fan, I think in the long run, of some sort of anonymous currency being able to help us out, as long as that currency can be sorted out without me being reliant on not losing my cryptocurrency wallet password. So Poker Hall of Fame Chris Moneymaker has got into a bit of bother with PayPal. And this is ridiculous. I've had issues with PayPal before. What was it? Right, this is my issue with PayPal. I, my, my account was dormant forever because I didn't use it for much. Uh, and then I went on eBay and I bought a base station for my robot lawnmower and I asked them directly, is this the correct adapter for it because there are different versions? And I sent photographs and they said it was and I went, okay, I'll buy it. And I paid with PayPal and they sent it and they completely got it wrong. I, I specifically asked them if it was the correct one and they got it wrong and they sent it back to me. Um, um, sorry, I sent it back to them uh, and I said, um, um, this is just, it's not the right one, but thanks very much. And I requested a refund and I didn't get my refund uh, for ages. And they were ripping me off because it, I, I'd done nothing wrong. I wouldn't have bought it if they hadn't confirmed that it was specifically the right base station for a connector that I sent them a photograph of. They charged me money. They sent me the wrong one. I sent it back to them and they didn't give me my money back. 
So I managed to request like a refund thing uh, and I got my money back uh, and then I didn't use them at all again because I didn't trust them that, you know, they, they would get it right the second time. Uh, and then PayPal just froze my account and they wouldn't give me a reason why and there was no money in there. Um, but if there had been money in there, it would have been frozen. And as it transpires, what they can do is they can just freeze people's accounts for no reason whatsoever and they don't have to tell them the reason and they can investigate it for... Uh, six months and then after all of that they can just confiscate the money that's in it as well and they are judge jury and executioner in this whole process and for someone as big as them they've come a long way since elon musk that's for sure so according to chris moneymaker he was doing a fancy american football league with 11 friends right so this is probably uh draft DraftKings in America, which is perfectly legal, and also betting with your friends on draft on fantasy football as long as no rake is taken by anyone, and when it's just friends together, no one's going to take the rake. It's perfectly legal as well. So uh, everyone, all of his friends, entered for a thousand dollars, and they transferred uh, the eleven thousand dollars to him, and he kept it in his PayPal along with his own thousand. That's twelve thousand dollars, and the twelve thousand dollars just sits there, and it's re- he's essentially escrow for his friends. And he is ready to pay out. Ooh, this is break point against Nadal. I'll tell you what, I'd love it if Nadal didn't get in the final. Sorry. Uh, he's um, escrow against uh, for all the money. And, you know, it's Chris Moneymaker. He's not going to steal the money and do a runner. He's a multimillionaire and he's a well-known figure. So he's like probably the most trustworthy person out of all of that. So the 12000 is sitting in his account until the end of the season. Um, Chris Moneymaker is effectively acting as a treasurer for the Fantasy Football League, um, which is an easier way to organise prize distribution than trying to coordinate with all of the 12 players later on um, after the season had ended. Um, you know, because everyone could say they're in for a thousand and then someone wins and someone doesn't say the thousand. So you get it in the only real way it can happen um, first. And then Chris Moneymaker tweets that PayPal have frozen his funds, like um, they froze my account but didn't have any funds in it. Um, uh, And they've told him that he could not access it for 180 days. And he showed a screenshot with $12,228.55 in it. Schwarzman has broken Nadal. How interesting. I'd sort of switched off from this game. I'm on Pass for the event, so I'd quite like it if one of Nadal and Djokovic didn't get to the final, because Pass has got Zverev in the semi. And I'd much rather he had Schwarzman in the final than Nadal. And it's only a single break in a set, so it's 2-0 in the second set, and he's one set down. Um, somebody needs to stand up to these guys, Moneymaker says, and I'm going to continue to use my status uh, and my social media channel to expose these immoral and illegal practices. And that's exactly what he's doing. He has got a lawyer involved, uh, a law firm, and they are now collecting information from anyone who has had money confiscated by PayPal. Because what they ended up doing is they suspended it for six months whilst they investigated it. And six months is an arbitrary length of time, and it's such a long period of time as well. Six months to be without funds. You know, imagine you had 10 grand in a betting account that was suspended for six months. Um, and, and then imagine you needed that to eat because you were a professional gambler and you were taking out a thousand from your profits every month. So like that's ridiculous and it's arbitrary. And there's no way of appealing. And then after the 180 days, 
his statement showed that a transfer had been made from PayPal to PayPal. So in a statement from uh, Chris Moneymaker, he says, I'll leave it to my lawyers to determine what the law says, but I think this is straight up theft and PayPal is a payments bully. This is less about money, although $12,000 is a lot of money. It's about the principle of stealing other people's money and hiding behind thousands of words of legal mumbo jumbo that has that no one reads. So he has retained the Benzamochin law firm to file an action against PayPal, PayPal Holdings Incorporated in federal court in America for breach of contract, unjust enrichment, and bad faith. Now, um, a class action lawsuit isn't something that exists in the UK. And I, I am no lawyer, and I don't quite understand um, whether international or UK-based um, victims of PayPal can be included in a US class action lawsuit. I would have thought technically yes. I would have thought that there was. And what the reason I'm bringing this up in the Bashcast is this kind of thing winds me up like nothing on earth because the, this is like PayPal have very rich shareholders and when they take money from people like this, it lines the pockets of the very rich shareholders. So it's just taking money from the ordinary person and making richer people already rich. And it's stealing. And, it, and, and they justify it somehow. And it's the same with any lawsuit that we take against William Hill or Betfred or anything like that. The reason we're doing it is because when they take money from us, and we only do it when they're taking it unfairly, they do it unfairly and then they line the pockets of their already, well, wealthy or wealthy enough to be a shareholder of William Hill, you know? And it's not fair. It's a, it's a power dynamic. It's a way of redistributing funds among society that is inherently unfair and it shouldn't happen. And so if anyone's had, and it's a shame I didn't even have 10 pence in my uh, PayPal when it was frozen unfairly. Because I would be part of this class action lawsuit. Unfortunately, my PayPal was empty at the time. But if you've had anything ever frozen from PayPal and then just written it off because it was only a few hundred dollars or a few hundred pounds or whatever, then I would encourage you to get in touch with this Benzamochen, B-E-N-S-A-M-O-C-H-E-A-N law firm. B-E-N-S-A-M-O-C-H-A-N law firm. Because they're bringing the class action lawsuit against PayPal, and I would expect them to win this. The Benzamochen law firm says that the facts are as simple as they are shocking. Moneymaker and 11 friends entered into a fantasy sports league for the 2020 NFL season. Uh, each participant paid $1,000 to be part of the league. Moneymaker agreed to hold the funds in November 2020. PayPal emailed Moneymaker that his account had been limited due to a violation of its user agreement. That's exactly what they said to me. A 62-page document that refers to a separate acceptable use policy. In May 2021, Moneymaker said that rather than unwind the transactions by returning the funds to each of the individuals, PayPal informed him that it was in confiscating the entire $12,000. In an email to Moneymaker, PayPal offered no justification for the confiscation of the funds. PayPal is a publicly traded American company based in San Jose, California. 
Since highlighting the incident on Twitter, Moneymaker has been in contact with many other professional gamblers and consumers who say that PayPal has confiscated their funds. Somebody has to stand up to these guys, Moneymaker said. I'm going to continue to use my status as my and my social media channels to expose these immoral and illegal practices and ask others to join my lawsuit against PayPal. The Benzamochan law firm would like to hear from any other individual who have had money confiscated by PayPal for an alleged violation of its user agreement and acceptable use policy. Please use the following email address, info at eblawfirm.us. Info at Echo Bravo Lima Alpha W? What's W? Oh, I'm in trouble now. Echo Bravo Lima Alpha Windrush, Windrush, Fire Indigo, Reindeer, Massachusetts.us. I really should have thought about that before I started. Right, what's coming up in the sport? I'll tell you what, there's a guy outside my window just singing the Vindaloo song from the pub beer garden. As he didn't have the audacity to mix in a few Kevin Nars. Look, I used to do what's coming up and then it got a bit repetitive, so I stopped doing it. But actually, it's pretty fair to do it right now because we are getting into the meat of some pretty serious shit as Doc Brown would say it is Wednesday, the 9th of June, 2021. And we know coming up on the 11th of June is the Euros. It lasts for one month. As always, teaching my mother to fish here. But by the time you get to the last week, there's like three games in the last week. Whereas at the beginning, there's four games a day or three games a day, whatever it is. But just take advantage of the volume at the beginning because it soon seeps away. It lasts for one month, 11th of June to the 11th of July, in the middle of the Euros, Wimbledon starts, which also, and also cycling fans, not so much a betting sport, but I know a lot of people like watching the Tour de France, which starts at the same time as Wimbledon. So we've got Wimbledon, and we've got the Euros, and we've got Ascot starting on the 17th of June. Royal Ascot, the second biggest um, value horse racing meeting in the UK in the calendar year after Cheltenham. So we've got Ascot. We've got Wimbledon, we've got the Euros, um, uh, and just around the corner, just after the Euros finish, we have the Open, the Open at Royal St George's. But not only the Open, shortly after the Open finishes, we've got the Olympics. I'm desperately trying to figure out, where does the Olympics start? It was July, why am I in August? Um, the Olympics starts on the 23rd of July, 23rd of July for the Olympics! Can you believe it? Olympic Games in, in Tokyo, just after the British Grand Prix. So that's the weekend after the Open. We've got the Open Golf. So we've got Wimbledon finishing and the Euros finishing. And then the next week, we've got the Open. And then the next week, we've got the Olympics. Amazing stuff. And then we've only got the Lions Tour, uh, which is to be confirmed, to be fair, immediately after that. Uh isn't that outstanding? I was going to try and get an Olympic special in, and now I see how soon it is. I don't even know if I'll try that. I'll try and do that. I'll try and get an Olympic special in. It'll be fun to um, 
talk about some of these sports that we bet on a little bit less frequently, how we can possibly price them up, find some edges. You know, it's harder to get more money on, but possibly easier to um, uh, find edges because there's simply less data on. And bang on cue for the end of the podcast comes Mr. Drinky Drink Siren, whatever it is that you're betting on this weekend. Do make sure it's valuable. Do make sure you have a barbecue on Saturday for Wales match and one on Sunday for this uh, for the England match. Get the barbecue out. Get the uni oven out. Make sure you put that dough in the uh, in the fridge for 24 hours before proofing. It only makes a difference to the air voids inside the crust. This is Tom signing out. Mm-hmm.